0: What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? This is The Complete sinner's Guide, and I am your host, Tyler Fowler, and tonight we have J.D. Martin joining us, as well as our brand new co-host, Joshua Davidson, back with us, as well as Noah Chalaya, to sit down and talk about the problem of evil, also known as theodicy. So we're going to talk about the problem of evil tonight, as well as what it means for God to allow things to happen from a Reformed perspective jd brother how you doing tonight though man it's been a while since we've had you on uh, we i'm so thankful that you are back with us on csg um but how you been dude since you've been on the show last time
1: yeah i've been i've been really blessed thank you for having me on um just been trying to serve yeah. the lord and to love my family and to seek us the kingdom of god
0: yes amen and for those who don't know jd and I, I like i've developed a friendship with jd over the years that we've known each other it's only been a few now but jd has been a big influence in my Christian life. Like ever since I've become born again, like JD has been there really from, I, I don't know, maybe the start even, or I know we were talking a little bit, you know, after I'd gotten saved. And I know you've been really a big part of that, man. And and you've like, I look up to you in so many ways. And so I just really appreciate you coming on. I appreciate our friendship. Um, I'm hoping that God blesses this conversation tonight, man. So, so for those who don't know, um, real quick, JD, who are you, man? And, and I know you have, uh, a YouTube exploring theology, right? So yep. mm-hmm. plug that yeah, a little so, bit if you want to, but yeah. Okay. Go
1: ahead. Yeah. So, uh, who I am, I'm just a Christian who was born again about 15 years ago, say from a life of drugs, gangs, violence, all of that kind of stuff. Um, committed my life to Jesus Christ. Now, um, I am, I graduated from Southern. my MDiv. div. I'm a bivocational pastor. I do YouTube ministry. Um, on exploring theology uh, at YouTube, I'm very trying to get engaged with the audience. So I take a lot of questions
0: and make videos for people, and I uh, just try to serve the kingdom of God however I can. Amen, amen. And JD's got some amazing videos. Like we got Greek lessons going on. Y- you haven't made a Greek video in a little bit? What um, are you going to continue that, JD, or yeah, is I, is, if there's a if, if there's a need, I can do it. Um, uh-huh. I didn't know if there was an ongoing need,
1: and I and I did see sure. some really good resources. Alternatively. But uh, but definitely I can do
0: that as well. Mm -hmm. Right. Right on. But yeah, theology, if you anything you want to know about theology, I'm sure J.D. has got a video on it. Very good resource. But Josh, Joshua Davidson, what's going on, brother? How you been for the since the last time we talked?
2: Uh, I'm I'm doing all right. Um, Got, you know, some good work done and, you know, doing doing well enough. Uh, I can't complain. A little sore and tired. It's been a long week, but it's been a good week, you know.
0: It has been a good week, Noah. Buddy, what's going on? You're back in the studio this time. Oh, How life you been is, this week. Jeez, life has been so good. I was telling you yeah. about
2: the. I was telling you about uh, the fantastic book. So I was, had a lot of windshield time because I was on the road, and um, yep. so there's a there's a book by the name uh, or by the by a guy by the name of Peter. C- I'm going to probably butcher this, but Cicaro, mm-hmm. Uh emotionally healthy discipleship: moving from shallow Christianity to deep transformation. Absolutely fantastic book. Cannot recommend it enough.
0: Right on, and and I have not had a chance to listen to that yet. I know you said it was on Audible because people like us, we don't have time to sit down and read like we I need to. The, the, I'll put it like this. The time that I do have to sit down and read, I try to read the Bible as much as I right. possibly can. So other right. you know books are secondary in that sense anyway. So Audible is my place to go. Like YouTube, we have a YouTube premium account, and so I can just click it off, put it in my pocket, and I'm listening to whatever I want to. But, yes, yeah, so tonight we have a <laughs> – an interesting topic, for sure, for those who are t- tuning in on KQQ 88.3 FM. Thank you so much for listening. So a little background real quick. JD and I have actually had this conversation planned, I'm going to say, for at least a month, if not longer. What's really, really interesting, divinely decreed, I would say, is that the other day, <laughs> I actually uh, two or three days ago, our friend, Layton Flowers, released a video on these very same thing. Two videos, actually. And so the first half of this episode, not really a response video to his video, but I do want to ask uh, J.D. a couple questions that Leighton raised, that Dr. Flowers raised. But first, I do want to understand, J.D., first question I have. In, in Reformed theology, in Calvinism, right, because we would, first of all, we would maybe a lot of people think of Calvinism as the five points. Cal, the, first of all, does this topic have really anything to do with those five points? Yeah, good question. Um,
1: So it depends on how someone defines Calvinism. Are they talking about most of the time when Calvinism is brought up, especially in the Baptistic um, camps that we roll in, um, what we're really talking about is whether a Baptist – holds to the five points of the tulip, total depravity, to unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. Um, now, you can continue to broaden what Calvinism means to uh, include, like, reformed theology, going into confessionalism, going to historical theology, and you can keep adding and adding until and so ultimately you can get so narrow that it's exactly what John Calvin himself believes. Um, but generally speaking, when we talk about Calvinism in the Baptist circles, because um, – we're not talking about um, going into everything that John Calvin believed and not even necessarily going into systematic theology or anything like that. We're just really sticking to those five points, which directly deal with the doctrine of uh, salvation. So, no, this issue particularly does not actually relate to that doctrine, those, doc- those five points of, of Calvinism, those five doctrines at all.
0: Okay, fair enough. So this is – from what I've heard from Dr. Flowers is that Calvinism and, – and Josh and I have had this discussion too – Calvinism is strictly deterministic. It's theological determinism. Um, that that's the one of the foundations or one of the presuppositions for Reformed theology for Calvinism. And I, I just want to know: is, is that true, JD? It, is yeah. Calvinism strictly theological determinism, or is compatibilism different in some way than? Determinism. So, th- so there's two questions uh, there: the difference between compatibilism, and determinism, and is Calvinism
1: strictly deterministic? I can. There's so much there. Uh, to try to not spend a, two hours on that question, I'll say this: that many Calvinists today, at very least, there's a historical question Richard muller explores, and other people have gotten to debate of whether or not uh, Calvin himself or the early reformers were deterministic or not. Um, I'm going to leave that aside. Today, the vast majority of scholarly Calvinists. Uh, or um, those in the scholarly material would actually affirm determinism. That is absolutely true. Now, as far as um, compatibilism, compatibilism says that, deter- so compatibilistic is not less deterministic than determinism. That doesn't make sense. Compatibilism says determinism is true, but it is compatible with free will and moral responsibility. Okay. So it's, so det- compatibilism by its very definition is deterministic. The thing is, though, what it's saying is that determinism does not mean man does not have free will, and it does not mean that people are not morally responsible, but it's no, in no sense is it less deterministic than determinism. Now, what people get confused on is that you have uh, some the, who are hard determinists and then compatibilists or soft determinists. And the the hard determinist, and I don't want to get people lost here, but a, a hard determinist is an incompatibilist, just like... Most people who reject determinism and compatibilism are also incompatibilists. In other words, this is someone who says determinism is true, and yes, it is true that this is incompatible with uh, moral responsibility and free will. And they say, suck it up. That's just the way it is. got to deal with it. Um, And so when people say, is is Calvinistic hard determinist? No. You cannot be a Christian and not—I should say that—it would be extremely difficult to be a Christian— and actually hold to hard determinism because the Bible is full of uh, texts that say man is responsible and God's going to hold him accountable and all the rest. So to deny that man is responsible is just flat-out denying the Bible, and pretty much no Christians go that route.
0: Sure, and so there is a difference then between hard determinism, somebody that sa- that would say—can you give us an example of what hard determinism versus soft determinism would look like?
1: Yeah, so it's again, it's about the question of incompatibilism. So a hard determinist would say— you are determined to do everything that you are uh, that you do, and the soft determinists or so compatibles will say yes, and they would say the hard determinists would say, and therefore you are not morally responsible, and you don't have free will, right? And then of course the incompatibles say, no, no, that's that's a faulty conclusion. That's actually not true. That I can be determined uh, everything I do, and in fact I am morally responsible, and in fact I have free will. So hard determinists, just suck it up, man up, realize that you determined everything is determined by God or whatever, whatever that whatever determining uh, the actions. And that just means you're not free will and, and just man up by it., that. uh, so that's really the hard determinist is saying that's a hard reality uh, to determinism, and you just have to accept it. Mm-hmm.
2: Now, I have mm-hmm. a question actually. Um,
0: yeah
2: when when you say, okay, because I agree with you, and I, I I'm glad that you acknowledge that compatibilism is actually fundamentally just as deterministic. Um, but you're saying that the distinction is specifically that, you're correlating the existence of free will with also the existence of moral responsibility. Is that an overlap, or is that two different categories that simultaneously exist? How are you how are I'm you? – sure. uh, I'm, how I'm
1: not sure what you mean by that, but, but yes, um, the hard determinist would say that uh, there is – at least something flavors of it would certainly say uh, there is no free will. right? The compatibilist would say, no, right. there's a free will. This is the type of free will we have.
2: Okay, so then, so then free will is defined a different way than the libertarian free will. Um, it's yeah, something right. other than that because it's determined, um, yes. but it's not necessarily. Um, it, how, how would you qual- how would you qualify the difference between the hard determinist and the soft determinist? Besides the the claim to no moral responsibility, why would there be that claim?
1: Yeah. So as far as um, free will, so the hard determinist is basically operating on the same premise of libertarian free will, and that's why they're saying that because they obviously reject compatibilistic free will. Okay, they're incompatibilists. They're saying that this is not legitimate free will. Um, so they would, they would deny that. Now, the compatibilist, and uh, we are talking philosophy, but anyway, that's fine. Uh, the compatibilist is saying, no, there's a type of free will that is compatible with determinism. It's compatibilistic free will. This is not the libertarian free will of the ability either source libertarian free will, i.e. your choices are sourced in you. You are the original agent of that choice, that source uh, libertarian free will, or contra-causal free will, which means you could have chosen A or B at the moment of choice. And so just because you do something doesn't mean you couldn't have not done that. Uh, the compatibilist would say, no, 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 free will is when nothing inhibits you uh, from doing what you want. So even if you're determined uh, towards something, as long as you yourself wanted to do it, then you are in fact free will. So it's a radically different uh, perspective of free will under compatibilism.
0: Is,
2: is, is that want? Uh, where, what's the source of the want? Is that just a, also a causal relation? Is that why it's determined? Is that what you mean?
1: Yeah, so so this is where, again, this is the problem. So we're talking philosophy. So strictly speaking, people will say exhaustive right. divine determinism or whatever, exhaustive determinism. Mm-hmm. That is contradictory. Uh, that just shows people don't know what they're talking about. Uh, determinism by definition means all things are in fact determined. However, people mm-hmm. claim to be deterministic, but they're really not. They just think that certain things are determined. So oftentimes, um in their system when you're talking to someone, they actually do believe that their their wants are not are not determined. But strictly speaking, though, under true determinism, yes, everything, right? So you can't say, is this right. also determined? That's everything by definition. Okay. Okay,
0: fair enough. Good questions. Really good questions, Josh. So I I what does the Bible teach, JD? I mean, like obviously that's that that's an interesting question in and of itself, but from your perspective, I mean, are there are all things determined in that sense by God, including our wants, desires, all these different things, or are certain, are some things decreed? How, how does that all work from your view uh, of yeah. the Bible?
1: So, very, I'm glad we got to the Bible because we can talk philosophy yeah. all day. It ultimately sure. matters what, what the Bible itself teaches. And again, this is the real challenge. Is when we try to mix philosophical terms with what the scriptures say. Here's what I think the scriptures say: that everything, and I'm actually going to take um, uh, this quote from the Abstract of Principles, which is Southern Baptist summary of the 1689 Confessional document. If, if anyone is curious where I'm getting this from, um, it, it says there that when it summarizes God's providence, it says all things are either um, all things that come to pass are either determined by God, or decreed by God, or permitted by God. And I absolutely 100% sign off on that. And I think everyone should sign off on that. Uh, God is the only being that has a satiety. God is the only being um, who exists in of himself. God has the power. His will cannot be thwarted. Everything is contingent. Everything is upheld by him. So nothing can happen without, at very least, God permitting it to happen. And there are certainly tons and tons of actions that we find in the Bible. Think about the action of regeneration. It doesn't matter if you think regeneration precedes faith or faith precedes regeneration. Either way, when God says, Spirit, regenerate that person, is going to happen. It never has not happened. God has never sent his his Spirit to regenerate someone and came back and said he ran too fast. right? So certainly, certain things are decreed and determined <laughs> and absolutely certain to come to pass. Um, but. Debate. Sometimes people will take that and and then suggest, well, every single thing is decreed in that way to come to pass, and that's where the dispute is. And and you can ask for my opinion where I fall on that, but but yeah.
0: So just to be clear, decree. Then, whenever we say God decrees something, we mean by that either cause or allow. There is so what doctor, and this is where Doctor Flowers' um, video comes in. And, and again, correct me if I'm wrong on this, Josh, because I think—and correct me if I'm wrong on this—but you would hold to basically the same uh, view, libertarian free will, as Doctor Flowers, correct? Provisionism.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, roughly, it's it's basically the same okay. principle as it, as like uh, JG just mentioned. Both of the uh, both of the principles: one is necessary, one is uh, sufficient but not necessary, and that's source mm-hmm. philosophy is that ultimately that I am the. Uh, Or origination of my decision to choose one desire over another rather than working instinctually on a basis of highest desire or uh, least higher desire or in in sort of uh, pecking order like that to where the thing at the top is automatically what you always do all the time and there's no like selective thing like you're not a thing outside of the desires that selects from among You're determined by the desire, like you said. And so ultimately that would be the difference is I would be the origination of my, my, my choice while working with the selection of my various desires, something like that.
0: Okay. So just, just, okay, Josh, so correct me if I'm wrong then here, but Dr. Flowers would say that for a Calvinist, Calvinism teaches that decree means effectually cause or effectually, you know to cause and so does decree mean that from from your perspective anyway does decree mean cause or i i think and again i think you just quoted it and if so so how does this work then really or does it mean allow or does it incorporate the the aspect of allowing into that decree
2: well ironically i actually really i i really enjoyed the the Definition that JD just read from whatever. What, yeah. what was the document that you just read? Ab-
1: abstracted, abstracted principle. Right.
2: Abstracted principle. That was actually a really concise and kind of agreeable on both. Like he said, it's like it, you can. It, it didn't. It wouldn't matter which side of the philosophical debate you stood on because the, the the terms are solid enough that you could say, yeah, no, that's that's true. It's either God decided it should occur and then it occurred, or God allowed it to occur. And I I think making those two things not the same thing is kind of what I mean by uh, uh, free will is ultimately that there are things that God decided. And then Mm -hmm. there are things that God decided should be decided by me. Something like that. Right. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm maybe oversimplifying it, but I'm trying to just move the the concept forward. You you understand? But I really like the definition that he read. That was actually really, I, I agreed with it pretty much.
0: Okay. Because see, that's what, that's where Dr. Flowers then would go. One of his questions that I wrote down was, what is God permitting his own decree or something else with, like I said, the presupposition that all things are decreed actions, you know, means caused by God. So how does this, you know, understanding of decree, how, how does it interact with what Dr. Flowers said about what Calvinism can I, teaches? Can I take a step? Can I take a stab at this one? Yeah, please. JD. Um, so to me,
1: the, the thing is, it's not um, how does Calvinism relate to this? Is, okay. is how does determinism, because again, it uh, okay. depends on what you mean by Calvinism. Calvinism is not necessarily right. determinist, even though it often is. Right. So sure. the five points of Calvinism don't relate at all. Now, mm. if you are a determinist, mm. um, how do you, if you are a true determinist, right? Not a partial determinist, which there are a lot of them. So the reality is when, when Dr. Flowers uh, looks at Calvinism and calls them absurd and makes fun of them and all that, um, what's really going on is that person is most likely actually a partial determinist, right? They actually don't fully believe in determinism, even though they somehow feel like they have to sign on because they're part of the bandwagon of everyone else saying that. Yeah. Um, that's why there's often this mis- confusion. But th- it gets even more confusing. The, the water gets even more muddy because many Calvinists today are, are determinists, in fact, and they also hold on to the confessional documents. And those confe- and the Bible, for that matter. And yeah. in the confessional documents and the Bible, there is the word permission and the word to permit. So they are stuck with the word permit, um, even though their system, strictly speaking, makes permission. This is what Leighton 5 was making fun of, which is true. It makes yeah. permission that, uh, the synonymous with cause, right? Mm-hmm. And so then there, that is a real problem. It's like, why? And then there has been a movement among higher Calvinists who have yeah. recognized this to actually get rid of the word permission altogether for the, for yeah. this reason. So there are Calvinists. Who are high determinists that would actually agree with uh, Flowers here that um, the word permission is inappropriate?
0: Yeah. Now, amongst amongst modern Calvinists, is that does that reflect the majority or is that a fringe group Th- that for, reje- reject the word permission? That would reject. The, yeah. That would be hard determinists. Well, I,
1: no. The people who are hard the people who reject permission are not actually hard determinists uh, okay. per se. Um, but no, the the vast majority of of Calvinists um, that I have experienced and I've talked to. Because again, the vast majority of Calvinists are not defending this at Paul Helms. They're not reading philosophy, none of that, right? They're just reading the Bible. Right. They have the 5 Tool Up, and they say, yeah, I think this 1689 confession sounds pretty good to me. I mean, sure. that's <laughs> really where they are, right? Okay. And so I would say the vast majority of Calvinists are in fact partial determinists. They believe that salvation is determined and they believe that um, the, the wicked people, the reprobates are determined not to choose God because of their natures. And that's really the extent of it. They often don't think that they're determined to pick Blue socks or Red socks. They're determined to send the last time they did, right? That every single thought is really determined by God and they have no control over it. What they usually mean, as I quoted from the abstractive principles, is that God is, under con- God is in control. And nothing's going to happen to me that God is not having his hand on in some way. Um, so that, that's generally speaking the, the okay. same Christian as they actually live day and day, actually live basically <laughs> like I said
0: with the abstractive principles right mm-hmm. okay josh do you have any questions for jd or does it because it, to me it sounds like you guys are agreeing well I, this point. I
2: i i i agreed with the last thing he said for sure I'm, yeah. i i i actually missed the i'm not sure if i didn't hear it but i i'm kind of what was the question that you asked him the first time
0: just like a few minutes ago about this yeah, yeah yeah
2: when he, i what was the what was the question how did you word the question when you asked it
0: Oh man, you would ask me something like that. <laughs> I, uh, d- I, um, it's escaping me. I was that, thinking... that
2: doctor flowers, the question that doctor flowers had posed about uh, what does it
0: mean
1: for God to allow or to permit under determinism? Yeah, what does God permit? Oh yeah, yeah, Demetra yeah. yeah, yeah okay, okay, else.
2: so that that's what it was. What what was what was the distinction that you that you made though? I remember, I, like the entire time you talked about. The the adaptation of, of removing permission and how certain groups of Calvinists respond to that kind of question. Um, how do, how would you oh. how would you respond to Doctor Flowers about that question?
1: Are you asking me or are you asking Tyler?
2: Yeah, I'm asking JD. Yeah, sorry, I'm I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, I, I would I would respond to that question as saying that this is a valid critique of anyone who tries to um to buy into full blown complete unequivocal determinism. Um, if I was to buy into that, I would join the other Calvinist movement and say we got to get rid of this term because it's nonsense. So, so I'm saying I, I agree. Um, if you go that far um, with your determinism, then then yeah, th- th- then it makes no sense.
2: Well, where does the? I, I guess that that's my question is where does the determinism end? What do you mean?
1: Yeah, I think the determin determinism ends strictly speaking in Calvinism, um, where where we have um, soteriology right? the unconditional election. I mean, that's really where, in that way, soteriologically speaking, you're determined, right? God decides who will be saved in that way. That's where it really should end. Um, What often happens, though, is I think that the non-Calvinists actually cause people to uh, think that they're more determinist than they are because you'll hear people like Flowers or others. Basically, it seems like their whole theodicy is merely free will. It's merely free will, right? And so simply God hands over the universe to man and says, have fun. I'll be back in you know, the same coming. And I'm being a little pejorative there, but seriously, though. Uh, and then the problem, though, is as you read your Bible, <laughs> that's clearly not the case. God constantly <laughs> intervenes all of the time. And, and so and he even says things like, um, do you not see the birds? And not a single one of them falls without the will of my Father. How much more will I take care of you? That doesn't sound like God says, I given you free will. Have a nice day. So this is where, you know, th- that's not strong enough. That's why I, I think the word allows or permits. Yes, God does intervene. He does he does it several times in the Bible. Um, he tells us to bank on his intervention. And when he doesn't, he has a good reason. Um, so I think that non-Calvinists <laughs> oh, often are handing the keys over to the Calvinists and forcing them to think that they have to be determinists to have a high theology of God's providence.
2: So then, okay, so... I, okay, fair enough. I mean, I'm 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 hearing what you, I'm trying not I'm trying not to disagree too much. I just want you to clarify what you're talking about. So I, I'm trying not to be disagreeable. Um, I I think I think I'm confused though at at where where permission lies within compatibilism if it's no less deterministic. Where exactly does that lie? What is God permitting?
1: Yeah. So again, if you, like I was saying, if you're a full blown compatibilist, i.e. a determinist yeah. who believes in compatibilistic free will, he's not permitting anything. Right, I mean, it, right. if you want to well, be literal. He's like, permitting, he's permitting what's the his decree.
2: Distinction though, like, is, is 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 the philosophy that undergirds the interpretation supposed to be separate from the interpretation?
1: No, I, I'm I'm a little confused. With what you're saying I, what I'm saying again is under determinism, regardless of your compatibilist or not. Um, under determinism, then the only thing, if you use the word permission, it's really nonsensical. But if you do, God's permitting his own decree. So he decrees you to do something or something to do something. He decrees a miracle. He decrees to see you to split. and then he permits to see the split or he decrees you to believe in Jesus. and then he permits you to believe in Jesus. That's what it would mean under full blown uh, compatibilism um, that I'm saying that that is I don't think that people should go that route.
0: I think what Josh is asking j d and, and I'm for Josh, <laughs> but how is compatibilism different from that um uh, from hard determinism in our deterministic sense? in what is determined like basically i guess are we determined to do things or or how does that work
1: yeah again this is why i was trying to, this reminds yeah. me of um stoicism right stoicism uh is also a deterministic system but it's not fully deterministic or at least it doesn't seem to be because stoicism says that you need to that the true peace of life is realizing what is out of your control well it's deterministic so what's out of your control well everything well except one thing but then that means it's not truly really deterministic. The thing that is actually not determined in stoicism is your thoughts about everything else. So actually right. your internal life is actually strictly speaking, not determined. And hence that's why stoicism says you should just accept what happens. Um, so they're not strictly deterministic is what I'm saying. And once, I think once people realize it, once non-Calvinists realize this, um, then I think it will be a lot easier to engage at least the common man Calvinist. Um, now, as far as you know, Paul Helm and, and philosophers, you still, you know, your critiques are, are landing punches and, and keep doing that. Um, but the common man, again, th- they'll constantly think you're misrepresenting them because that's not actually what they believe. Right. The person is But they uh, aren't they? Aren't,
2: aren't they? Aren't they simply being uninformed? Isn't what they believe actually corresponding to what the philosophers are claiming?
1: No, Why the no. Because because the disconnect is because they're not philosophers and they were never supposed to be. The, none of this is coming from the Bible. Right, this is all coming oh, from stuffy books. I know this
2: it's, is this is this is part of how you view reality.
1: No, they don't view reality that way at all. I'm saying that this is all stuffy stuff found in, in old people's books uh, that they don't read. Where they where they come from? Why they become Calvinists is because they read the Bible, Romans nine and other passages, and believe that it teaches unconditional election, total property, so forth and so on. Uh, and I, I, then I, later on, they're told that they must also believe in determinism, which they sign on on. And they often don't even know what that is, hmm. and so they're not fully deterministic. I mean, that, that's the reality on the ground of when you go into the churches of Calvinist, that That's what you really actually see there.
2: I, I agree with you. I, I'm, not, I'm not disagreeing with that. That is where – I think that's where the rubber starts to meet the road, though, and, the, and then you find a load of strange uh, inconsistencies in, in the thinking process between what you're seeing in the Bible and the theological categories that are being formed and then the reality that we live out. In our experiences as we live in life, and this, this like the the lack of correspondence between the two, between something where you said they're not philosophers, like that's fine, but they still should be informed about why it is they think what they think. In some sense, yeah,
1: no, absolutely, I agree with you. I I mean, again, I think that what should happen is my personal opinion on this um, is I think what should happen is that Calvinists should, by and large, say um, we're not full-blown determinists. Um, I don't know why we ever said we were and to back off of this. Uh, if they don't, then it will collapse because full-on determinism, the reason uh, why it's so often attacked is because it's not defendable. So it, it's not a, It, it just, uh, it, it's absurd. And so because of that, it, it cannot be defended. So I, I do think that um, that this was a bad idea to combine the two positions and it should be separated.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, so philosophically speaking, there has to be some form of uh, like independence, like something separate from God's will, for God to be allowing, that that isn't represented properly in like a hard determinism. Is that what you're saying? That's why yes, you, if you don't if,
1: if you yes, if you take the word permission in its normal sense, I mean you can redefine any term, right? But if you take the word permission in its normal sense, it has the idea of one agent. I mean, the word permission is not a theological term; it's just a regular term. And so, if I permit my right. son to do something, that presupposes that I'm not my son and I'm not controlling everything he does. And in fact, I'm permitting, I'm allowing him to exercise his will in this way. It completely breaks down Mm -hmm. if, even in this one circumstance, if in fact my son is more a mere extension of me, as if he was a puppet, right? I cannot permit a puppet Mm -hmm. to speak. I'm speaking to the puppet. Uh, Um, So it just it breaks down.
2: So you just think it's it's okay. So it's just not useful to use philosophical language and philosophical categories to explain the theological language and theological categories you think that overlap is what's causing this uh this this friction right you're saying that it's actually um like for for you it's a it's a separate ordeal because most people aren't concerned about philosophy and and like you know all of this yeah like,
1: well that, that's not quite yeah, i don't mind yeah. philosophy i don't mind philosophy but th- what well, no, not you is, personally.
2: no you you seem informed i'm talking about like most yeah. people who don't care what we're
1: talking about, right? We yeah, what the most people are bored out of their minds saying. Can we get to the Bible? Um, yeah. What happens to them? The reason, they – like I said, what actually the reason why they say yes, I'm a determinist, and they say I don't know what JD's talking about, um, or saying JD's saying some strange things, is because they first read Romans nine and believe in unconditional election, and say, oh, that's determined by God, right? And then they say, okay, and then they see this strong view of God's providence that I've been defending here, and they say, oh, okay. And then they hear non-Calvinists talk about, you know, man's just free and, and God left left the doors open and just left. And um, they're like, I don't believe that. And and then they read in books in other places that have a very strong view of providence too, that this is compatibilism. Mm-hmm. They say, oh, I believe that, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's their first access to the term compatibilism was from a theological book that was uh, also Calvinist that was agreeing with them. They never actually cracked open an actual philosophy book on determinism itself. And so then they go around saying mm-hmm. that I'm a compatibilist or determinist uh, because I have this high view of God's providence because I believe so, logically speaking, things are determined. That then they think, they have to defend this position that they actually don't hold to. And then when when Layton Flowers and other people actually attack true determinism, they're like, what is he doing? Or, or even worse, they, they start to dig their heels in and actually just fully embrace that system, right? And then feel like they actually have to defend full-on determinism. So I'm just saying that I think that people um, – I, I think that determinism is not good. Um, the five points of Calvinism is established from Scripture. At least people try to, okay? So sure. if you want to attack Calvinism, attack the Romans 9 interpretation. Sure. Um, attack that. But there is no logical connection between um, God decreeing that you wear blue socks over red socks <laughs> and God decreeing that he's going to save some and leave others in their sin. There's absolutely no logical connection between two.
0: Josh, do you got any more questions about that or –
2: uh, I I I mean I I do I, we could he's right sure. we can spend a thousand hours talking about yeah. philosophy he wants to talk about scripture and I'm down
0: yeah let's jump into some scripture so JD you, where would you go like what verse what what passage is on your mind right now
1: for for this
0: issue of God's providence yeah just anything that's coming you know okay you know.
1: well so I'll tell you my discovery so when I for yeah. I started off as a Calvinist and um and, and wrestling through some of these things and I remember being in seminary. In um, my theology one class, and first hearing about compatibilism and wrestling with it and thinking about it and, and wrestling, thinking, 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 wrestling, and it made sense. Like I said, it made sense, especially as a Calvinist. It made a lot of sense to me when it came to the reprobate man. Right, the reprobate man has an evil nature. He has an evil desires. He's always choosing sin over, um, he's over God, and that's why he's perpetually you know, not believing. And in fact, you can. This is actually taught in Romans chapter three. Romans, three, not Romans, uh, John chapter three. It says that this is the judgment, that light has come to the world, and men love darkness yes. uh, because their deeds were evil. It says everyone who uh, practices evil hates the light and refuses to come to the light, lest their evil deeds be exposed. exposed. So here you have somebody who uh, has, uh, is lover, a lover of evil, and because of their love for darkness and evil, they never come to the light. So anyways, uh, compatibilism seemed to make uh, sense, very much so of why the unbeliever refuses to come to the light, in other words. Okay. Um, and that made sense so, to me, but I – go ahead. Sorry.
2: I, I was going to say, so I – okay. So that, that – I think right what you just did just now is compatibilism made sense of, of what part of that? Why, why wouldn't free will make sense of that? Which part was the, was the deterministic part?
1: No, no. I'm saying that – so part of compatibilism and compatibilistic free will is the notion that we do our greatest desires. Okay. Um, right, so the desires the first, are
2: determined. That's why it's determinism
1: yes but i'm saying compa- the idea of compatibilistic free will though is that the moment of choice you always act upon your greatest desire and so what i'm saying is that this this concept lines up very nicely with the idea is that these people's greatest desire is to do evil and that's why, why? they always choose evil what is
2: that why is that well, why is that their greatest desire why would that be their greatest desire
1: well, at this point, I'm not even getting into why. I'm just saying that, right? The person. So again, I'm not defending compatibilism. I'm trying to, trying to explain okay, really why. Okay. So you're I ultimately, okay. So this
2: is an, this is mostly anecdotal. Then I misunderstood. I'm sorry. Yeah.
1: I'm sorry. So so, anyways, I'm saying that when it comes to when it comes to the unbeliever, the person who rejects the gospel, the, the idea of compatibilistic free will that people do their greatest desire seems very well to match up with that scripture. Their greatest desires to evil. That's when it comes to the light. In fact, this lines up often with some of our experiences too. Why do I pick steak over chicken? Why do I decide to play tennis over pickleball? Sure. It really has to do with my greatest desire, right? Um, so it, it made sense, right? There, there's some plausibility to that, and even scriptural, seemingly scriptural uh, backing. Mm-hmm. The problem, though, is I started to think really seriously about Adam. And th- again, this is where most Calvinistic, whether Calvinists, whether they know it or not, are not actually deterministic. Because often, I've always heard, no matter what circles, um, that Calvin... That Calvin, that Adam could have not sinned. Adam was—he did not have fallen nature. Uh, he was created holy, and he had a real choice to make—to choose to sin or not to sin. And it really was in his ability. That's contraproducible free will. And again, remember determinism And when I started realizing the true extent of determinism uh, and what it really meant—meant everything—I realized that even that alone would make you not deterministic. So you can believe everything's determined except Adam. And you're not actually strictly speaking deterministic. Right. Right. And so I realized, oh, wait, this doesn't really work with Adam. And then I thought, hmm, this doesn't really work with believers either because believers are free from the power of sin. We talk to scripture, Romans chapter 6. We're mm. free from the dominion of sin, and yet we mm. still sin. And, and so it's mm-hmm. like, well, wait a second. You know, how, are you going to say that the last time you sinned, you were determined? Well, that contradicts scripture. 1 Corinthians ten yeah, twenty three says that no temptation is overtaken. That's not common to man. God is faithful. He will always provide a way of escape with the temptation that you may be able to endure it so i'm like Amen. not only does this not work with adam this doesn't work with believers either right and so to me that that began the collapse in making me realize no determinism strictly speaking does not explain all of the universe it works well with unbelievers it works well for glorified saints in heaven it works well even for god in some sense of why god can't sin, but it really does not work well with
0: um adam or believers Josh, you seemed <laughs> what are your thoughts i well, i'm, I'm just now? i'm
2: I'm enjoying I'm enjoying listening
0: um, I,
2: jD talks quickly, but he says uh, he says a lot in what he says um, yes. I, I, and 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 as I'm following what he's saying, I'm agreeing with a lot of what he's saying because he's using right. the same language that I would use to describe all of this uh, sure. and how it how it how it corresponds to um, reality around us. It's like reality yeah. is. Is made of truth, just like the Bible fundamentally is giving us the, the 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 truth that we can't see in our lived experience necessarily all of the time. The Bible right. is giving us access to some things that we can't necessarily see, and so the language that he's using to describe this
0: perspective things, is Bible, everything.
2: <laughs> and but that's the thing is I, I I disagree that compatibilism has any has any grasp on what he's describing. But I'm enjoying all of the language that he's using to describe all of. And I agree. It's 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 so strange because I agree with everything he says except where compatibilism fits into the equation.
1: Yeah, I think maybe that's a misunderstanding, right? Um, yeah, that fair again, because I I've said that sh- strictly speaking, compatibilism, which builds on determinism, which strictly speaking is exhaustive, does not work. So no, I'm not saying that this works. This fits with pure 100 on w- with um. Compatibilism without equivocation or clarification or anything like that no, it doesn't work right uh, and that's why I'm saying that um, we need to uh, I think people need to back away from this term or at least define it in a way that is clarifying that no i'm not um, I'm not a, a full on determinist in the way that an atheist philosopher would be a full-on determinist or something like that because because you get into the trouble right you get into a lot of problems um and that people I brought out, and I, I rejoice that people bring this out. Um, this is something I had to discover in, in seminary, uh, and so I, I hope that people continue. I made many videos on this topic, actually, um, and, and really trying to push my Reformed brothers to realize, you know, you really don't have to hold on to this full-on philosophical determinist, determinism uh, to yeah. believe in the doctrine of uh, of the tulip, right? There, there is no logical connection. Do not be a slave to what Jonathan Edwards says or anyone else says. You <laughs> should bring and, and recognize that actually this causes more problems than it helps.
0: Sure.
1: So let me. Okay. Ask you fair that.
2: enough. So th- is is that an acknowledgement then that that you agree that like in 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 terms of our lived experience and the correspondence to reality thing that I was just describing, like free will does correspond to our our experience.
1: Yeah. So I, I'm glad you mentioned that. So what I tell people is, um, our experience does not determine truth by any means. Okay. That's no. Of absolutely course not. Not the case. However. That experience often corresponds with that, which is true, right? So right, right. God created the universe. And I give the example of a drainage, uh, a drainage, um, you know, um, something that, that drains water, right? A sewer line basically. Mm-hmm. And if you saw a sewer line and, and you saw and someone said, you know, that this really is, you know, some kind of bunker or this this really is a grill that you should be grilling your food on. Well, you could look at it and, and realize that there's really no ways to put coals in there. It's very inefficient. You, it's like, mm, I don't think so. And then you you look and, and see when it rains, that all the water's going down there, right? Um, it probably is a sewer. And you can see that based on experience. So oftentimes, reality corresponds um, with truth, right? Not all the time, but oftentimes. So yes, I do think it's a good argument to say that it is so immediate to our senses that we have contra-causal free will. And not only that, that we are the the choice, we are the the agent moving, right? We are the source behind our action. That is so intuitive to all of us. And so that doesn't make it true, but that makes the preponderance of evidence suggest or I would need a very convincing argument to believe that isn't true. The burden of proof is on the person who denies what everyone seems to experience, not on the person who is defending that.
2: Right. Fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. And I, I like the, I think, I think the, the, the natural extension of the next question would be something about the, the foundation of, uh, justice and responsibility, bl- blameworthiness and praise in relation to the ability to do or not do any, whatever desire happens to be present at the time, being able to resist that hmm. in some sense and make active yeah. decisions, saying that's, that's available to believers, but not to unbelievers.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question. So can we go there, Tyler? Yeah, please. Yeah, so it's, so I will say this. It is certainly true that in most circumstances, uh, ability to do other is, in fact, um, a, a necessary ingredient to make someone morally responsible. So if I'm sitting there and telling my crippled child to get up and, and dance and he refuses and I beat him and beat him and beat him, someone should beat me. Because get wrong with me that I would um, just try to discipline my child for not doing what is simply impossible for them to do. Okay, so that is certainly the case um, under uh, most circumstances. However, though, interesting enough, there are certain circumstances that does not, in fact, follow. So a classic example is the person uh, being drunk and getting in their car and falling asleep and killing people. At, strictly speaking, um, we don't only just punish them. We don't only just punish them. For uh, getting drunk in the first place, and we don't only punish them for getting in the car; we also punish them for the, the the murder, for the manslaughter, which happened when they were strictly speaking unable to prevent it from happening. And there's all kinds of interesting things because think about it: if he gets drunk in that car, uh, pulls into the local Seven Eleven, and then and falls asleep and, and and wakes up, we're not going to have him as morally culpable as if he, in fact, uh, you know, flies off a bridge and, and kills ten people. Um, and so so there are instances where it, it does seem, though, um, the ability to do otherwise is not a necessary ingredient for a moral capability.
2: As long as the person induced the condition upon which so they became unable,
1: right? Yes. Okay, I agree with that. I think that's that's very nice, but, but here's the issue, though. Um, when it comes to uh, humanity and how this kind of intersects with Calvinism, and I don't mean to make this overly complex and— I wish we could just find uh, a simple theology we can all agree on, but unfortunately, <laughs> we have two thousand years of church history. No, I feel history. like I'm
2: fo- I I feel like actually I'm following this conversation a lot better than some of the other conversations because I'm trying to hold back my disagreement and simply ask you for clarity. That's all. I'm yeah.
1: yeah. I'm just yeah. saying. for I, I unfor- I'm just saying. I wish we could not go into such complexities and all that. But we're two thousand years removed from the apostles and. And everyone's saying different things so we have to now anyways sure. to your to your question yes you're right as long as the original action um in those examples i gave all of them have the commonality of the original action um they were they did have the ability to do otherwise right they did have the ability not to get drunk or whatever um and so i think that probably is a necessary element there are at least but interesting when it comes to how this intersects with calvinism Torah, and all that is remember that the calvinist argues that all men were somehow mystically in uh, harmony with Adam. There's a whole bunch of different ways to explain that, but bottom line is uh, that they were culpable completely for that sin. It's not just simply his sin. It's their sin and participation with him. So that's like the man getting drunk, you see? (coughs) He is responsible because, remember, Adam had contra-causal free will, and those in Adam had contra-causal free will. So they didn't have to eat of the tree, but they did. And so that becomes the uh, central act under calvinistic schemes or at least many of them that actually condemns all humanity
2: okay so it's like an abstraction that like adam as mankind is culpable for sin as an abstraction this thing the evil that exists um is because of mankind mankind being encapsulated in the man adam so what you're saying
1: yeah, I, I'm not sure if I like th- that. I'm not sure if I like that, but yeah, you're kind of getting at. It. I don't want to say encapsulate. I'm saying that Adam sent, however embodied,
2: we, sorry, in, like embodied, like like yeah, Adam sent is our thing. like that.
1: I have a I have an explanation that he's a perfect representative of us. You don't have to buy that, but the bottom line is, I think that um, I think the fact that Adam was in the garden, and he sent, he perfectly represents you, and it's just an accident. Right? It's just an accidental circumstance based on God's sovereignty. He could have just as well put Josh in there, and you would have failed spectacularly just like he did. So let and, me and ask so, this.
0: Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead, JD.
1: No, no, that's it. I'm just saying, so that's why um, it's not—people always say it's his sin, like, well, we're just some helpless victim. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. This is your sin in Adam. Now, again, right. I have my own explanation of that, but I think it's exactly morally equivalent as if you committed the sin
0: and um, instead of Adam. So like in the same or maybe not a one for one because Christ sacrifices so much greater, but like in Romans five, how Jesus, how all of that becomes us, his righteousness becomes ours, our righteousness because he's our representative. Right. So yes. whenever God looks at him, he he sees us as doing those works. So in that way, we send in Adam in the garden.
1: Well, so I think yes, kind of, right? Uh, I certainly think there there are certain parallel ideas. And I I think what's going on in Romans chapter 5 is, the whole point of Romans 5 is that if you think that one man's action cannot have profound impacts on other people, and really he's trying to show you that Christ can save everybody, right? (laughs) Then he's saying, well, look back at Adam and and, and see how this man's one action profoundly condemned all humanity. Um, The the difference is, though, is – When it comes to Christ, I think we're accounted by grace, unmerited favor, are righteous in connection with Christ. When it comes to Adam, I think that we were actually in union and participation with Adam in that sin. But if you want to explain it your way, that's fine too. Either way, the bottom line is God, who's the perfectly righteous judge, says Adam's sin is your sin. However you want to figure out how that is, God says that, right? Adam's, or at least under this interpretation, God's saying that Adam's sin is your sin. And that's the sin that you could have done otherwise
0: mm-hmm. Josh do you have anything to any questions I I, I'm,
2: I I think I'm realizing that he's when when you use that language it's not philosophical he's speaking that you're not speaking about compatibilism when you explain it that way you're speaking strictly in a theological category and I think maybe that's the misunderstanding that a lot of people are having when they hear us talk about that is when you when you said that you weren't about believe
1: no yeah that, that's uh, that, why that language
2: isn't helpful yeah that
1: that is very unhelpful because if you if you say well he is a calvinist so therefore he is determinist so therefore i'm going to read no just read me just understand me as you would understand any other person <laughs> i'm not speaking a specialized language uh, i'm saying that adam could well,
2: have which is kind of a specialized language it's something that's but there's a lot of overlap between the theology and the philosophy that's informing the theology and the interpretation. Those, those, those things have a big overlap, especially when they're all associated with a text that everyone is trying to interpret through the yes. different uh, 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 views that they have about reality itself that this Bible is going to correspond with because they believe reality and the Bible are true.
1: No, that's right. I guess I would say didn't pick up on the term contra-causal free will in Adam i.e. Adam could have done other than he had done, right? And all of us in participation with Adam could have done other than we do. So all I'm saying right. is, though, that the 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 Calvinist who is not trying to... Anyways, the Calvinist has this uh, out or has this thing that he can appeal to and say, yes, in fact, um, there was an action that he could have done other, namely the fall, the original fall that caused all the problems in the first place. So he's not just some helpless victim, Right that he fell right. and Adam Adam was Adam, not a helpless
2: individual, victim Adam the individual is not a helpless victim right that's what you're saying and exactly. if I were Adam if I were Adam I also would have fallen maybe not the exact same time but in in, in a similar way I would yes. have inevitably blown it in some sense is that what you're saying that every person well I think you would have blown it in that exact state,
1: sense yeah I agree um, both, but I think you would have blown it in that exact sense I think there's absolutely no chance that Josh that josh would be in that garden and and attack the snake and cry out to god i I found a rebel in you in your your garden i think it's absolutely no possibility of that and i think and i would make an argument i don't want to get too caught up in this but the impossibility of the contrary if you were to in fact be the kind of person who would have passed that test then i think it's impossible that god would have had adam represent you because adam then would misrepresent you and that'd be completely unjust
2: you're using you're using the word represent symbolically
1: no, right. I mean legally, and, and no, not symbolically. legally. Adam represented you when Adam was kicked out. You were kicked out of the garden. I mean, that's the. bit Yeah, of the story. but you're not.
2: Ta- you're not. You're. I mean, you're not speaking philosophically. You're, you're speaking in legal terms, which are uh, you're using Adam as a symbol for a stand-in for me, yes. right? Uh, yeah, he's he's my representative, which is a stand-in. He's he yes. he he is not me. He's something else.
1: Yes, that's right. He represents you. He's just standing. He, he's, in other words, here's what I think. Here's what I personally, now we're getting into philosophy, but I personally think this. I think that the original fall happened which, with Satan and the angels, and God created all of them at the same time, and um, they all fell at the same time, at least relatively speaking. Satan probably fell a few seconds before or a few minutes before, whatever, and then um, and then he somehow enticed. Or, it's, it's kind of speculative there, but basically they all fell at the same time. And I think that God could have just as well created all of us and we could have all spectacularly fell in, fallen in planet Eden, but he didn't do that. He decided rather to create one person, and now that one person take the fall for all of us. In other words, that one person um, represented all of us, and so instead of all of us falling at the same time, he would just accomplish it through that one person. But nonetheless, though, I think um, that what Adam did is exactly what we would do, and that is why God hold, holds us morally accountable. But there's other, other justification, you don't have to buy that, but that's personally how I how I perceive that what's going on
0: there. Okay, That's fair should, enough. That should be a part two. Just throwing that out there. But anytime, dude. J- anytime, I, I, man. I appreciate it so much. So we've got about two minutes left. So we're we're, we're going to start winding down. But JD, man, I thank you so much for bringing clarity because Josh, agree. What would you think, or what what would you say? Has clarity been brought to this subject for non-Calvinist and Calvinist on the subject of allowing? and god permitting things that happen in reality
2: i mean i i don't i don't know in the broader sense but i think in a more specific sense relationally i feel a lot more connected with what jd just explained throughout this episode than categorically what the philosophy that's attached to the ideas would be describing the separation that he's creating and then the language that he's using ultimately is mapping onto my my understanding of these things relatively well. Uh, and I, uh, you know, uh, other, other than the, the, the adoption of the, the five points, and mm-hmm. I, I don't necessarily see that those are separate from the philosophy, but I can see the utility in why he would say, it's not helpful to make this a philosophical category. Stay in the scripture, you know, because the philosophy is unlivable. It's, un, it's indefensible against reality. It doesn't seem to like fit. So I think the way that he described it is ultimately like, you know, probably more helpful in the long run. Um, yeah. but I, I just I, I can't say I'm convinced that he gave me a reason to comport permission with compatibilism. I didn't get there. But we, we sure. I do understand a lot more of what he was talking about. I could say that.
0: Good. I'm glad Clarity, maybe we can get there next time, but at least a bridge has been started to be built anyway between non-Calvinist and Calvinist. JD brother, I want to thank you so much again for joining us. For everybody tuning in, um, you can catch us every every Friday night live right here, um, kqqradio.com, and and Josh, our new co-host. We're gonna be we got some good topics coming up, man. I I'm excited to have Josh on. I'm excited to have a lot of different people on, including Doctor Michael Heiser. So be on the lookout for that. Also, um, you know, for those who don't know. Um, Dr. Heiser's team, uh, released a statement, uh, a couple days ago that Dr. Heiser does indeed, uh, have cancer. And so if we could be, if everyone listening could be praying for him and just lifting <clears throat> him up in, in your prayers, we, um, that that's terrible to hear. But again, we're, we're confident as Christians, we're all united by the blood of Christ. Right. And so we're confident that God is sovereign and that he is in control of all of these things. And so even cancer. So Dr. Heiser, if you're listening to this, we encourage you to keep going, keep pressing forward. We're right behind you and we will be uh, continuing to pray. And so Josh, man, any last words, brother?
2: Thank you for letting me be involved in this stuff, man.
0: (laughs) Amen. Amen. Like I said, you can catch us every Friday night right here at KQQradio.com. This has been the Complete standards Scott, JD Martin, Joshua Davidson. I've been your host, Tyler Fowler. Thank you. God bless Good night, and we will see you next time.